attention. Welcome to Prayer and Practice, musicians releasing musical gifts into the church. This podcast is meant to help those who serve in the worship ministry of their churches. And now your host, Kyle Lanier. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 14 here at Prayer and Practice. My name is Kyle Lanier, and I am your host as we go through all things worship. Uh, Last time we were together, we talked about the importance of establishing a personal practice routine, uh, and that is a part of stewarding our musical gift. And and in that, we also talked about some practical ways to create that practice routine. Um, And I I gave you some examples of of how to begin to to set that up. So today, uh, I'm, again, just excited to, to share with you today we're going to be talking about uh, music theory and its place in the life of a church musician and I'm, I'm specifically going to talk a lot today about the importance of reading music you know if, if practice is important um, for for you know taking our skill level to another level then I would say that that being able to read music is just as important in our, our stewardship uh, and and my reasoning for that is because you know it has been said of music that it is a universal language okay and and the thing about music is that it's pretty much been notated the same way since the baroque era of the 1600s and so if if music has its own language then I probably should know how to speak that language, okay? Now, as far as our, our biblical principle here, you know, we shared back in, in episodes 11 and 12 this uh, this biblical example of stewardship, and that biblical reference is Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, and it's the parable of the talents. So if you would like to refer back to that, that's uh, that's kind of what we're basing all of this teaching off of, of being, is being a good steward with our gift. So let's move into the practical aspects of reading music. All right, so before I begin our talk, I just wanted to refer you to an amazing resource that really helps in practicing the areas I'm going to be sharing about today. And that that website, that resource is www.musictheory.net. That's M-U-S-I-C-T-H-E-O-R-Y.net. Now, after teaching music for many years in my life, I have found that this specific website uh, to be is, is, is really one of the most helpful and beneficial tools that is out there to help teach the concept of reading music. It is a free resource. There's also an app that you can get for all of your uh, devices and download. Um, and uh, and I, I believe that one, you know, that one is like a, a little bit of expense. Uh, but but the uh, the actual website, the things on there are, are free and it's just such a great tool. And, and also, you know, I just I guess I'll go ahead and make mention of this. If you've if you've not gotten uh, the prayer and practice book yet, um, I have included a great deal of graphics in this particular chapter to help you visualize what I'm what I'm teaching today. Um, and that book is available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback format. So check it out if you need further help there. And then lastly, you know, the last thing I'll mention before I get into my talk here is that having a private music teacher is one of the best ways to learn the concepts that I'm going to be sharing and presenting uh, in my talk today. All right. So now music is written on a series of five lines and four spaces that we call the music staff. Okay. Um, and, and on this staff, this is where we find 
pitch. And pitches are simply the actual sounds that, that we create through our voice or through our instrument. Um, and, and they're actually labeled on the music staff. Okay, So these sounds or pitch are labeled and identified using symbols that we call uh, clef. Uh, and there are two basic clefs that most musicians are going to read, um, and they are first uh, treble clef and secondly bass clef. Now, as far as these clefs, uh, they're they're these symbols that, that just simply organize the notes according to the pitch range. And when I say range, I'm I'm referring to the highness or lowness of the sound. Okay, um, so you know when when it, when you think about high. Uh, we would think about maybe a, a woman's voice, a female voice, um, in that very high range that we hear the high pitches that they can hit. And maybe, um, you know, low sounds would be kind of like my voice. My voice is a little bit lower pitch um, in, in resonance uh, and, in, and in the wavelength and vibrations that are occurring. Okay, so when we think about treble clef, we're thinking about notes that are in that higher range or even on the right hand of the piano, typically. Um, and then for bass, uh, the lower range notes or the left hand of the piano, if you will. So, you know, since we've got these notes on the staff, um, how exactly do we label the notes? Well, like any other language, we have to use an alphabet and music does have its own alphabet. And that is called the musical alphabet. And it consists of the first seven letters of our uh, English alphabet. That's A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Okay, when we get to G, we just simply circle back around to A. So it is, in fact, uh, like a circle. You know, sometimes when I'm, I'm teaching this concept, I'll write the letters out in a line. Um, but then, you know, once, uh, once my students kind of see, well, what happens when you get to G? I thought, oh, okay, well, let's write them in a circle so that we can see that the musical alphabet really works like a circle and the notes just continue to loop around as they go through different octaves in higher range or lower range. Okay, so each cleft, both treble and bass, has its own arrangement of how notes are placed on the staff. So treble clef, for example, if you put uh, uh, notes on the lines, for example, you get the notes E, G, B, D, and F. Now, a way we teach students to remember that is every good boy does fine, and that's that's the line notes. And then the, the spaces in between the lines also have their own note names, and those are F-A-C-E, and then if you notice, that spells face. So to remember the space, we think face. So just like the treble clef has its own specific line note names and space note names, so does the bass clef. The bass clef uh, note names would be G, B, D, F, and A. Or, you know, we teach students good boys do fine always. Just a little sentence to help them remember, uh, you know, that the starting uh, a letter of each word is actually the note name. And then for the space notes, A, C, E, G, or all cows eat grass, if you will. Okay, so that's kind of how we begin to organize pitch. Now, uh, music itself moves in steps, which is the distance from one note to the next in the musical alphabet. Okay, so if we're moving forward in the musical alphabet, that means we are moving from south to north on the music staff. So it'd be like the bottom of the page to the top of the page um, on the music staff. We're going actually going up. In, in that way. If we're moving backward in the musical alphabet, that means that we're moving from north to south or going down the music step or music staff rather. So those are some basics about about pitch, but music also uses rhythm to define how long or short each pitch should be played. And we have our own symbols 
for that as well. So when we talk about rhythm, we're actually talking about the organization of sound into a defined or specific length or duration of that sound. Okay, so, so if pitch is actually the resonance or the tone that I hear, then rhythm is how long I would hold that pitch or sustain it, okay? And so as we begin to talk about rhythm, uh, first thing we need to, to talk about is time signature. Time signature is actually how we're going to define rhythm. And so just like you have your own signature that identifies who you are, time signature identifies a couple of things for us uh, with rhythm. The first thing is that it shows us the beats per measure. It also shows us which type of rhythmic value is going to receive the main pulse or beat in that specific time signature. And time signature, when you see it on the music staff, it looks kind of like a, like a fraction. Like so, so it's 4-4, four, 2-4, four, 3-4, four, different things like that. Uh, however, it is not a fraction. It's actually giving you two types of information. The top number is defining that beat per measure amount. And then the bottom number is actually identifying the rhythmic value that's going to receive the main pulse or beat in that time signature. Okay, so rhythm also uses its own series of uh, symbols for the musician. Um, so we're going to talk about a couple of those. The very first one we're going to talk about is the longest value, typically in basic rhythm, and that is the whole note. The whole note uh, is the longest duration. It equals four counts of sound, and it's defined by what looks like an open circle when you see that on the music staff. Okay, so our second uh, type of basic rhythm uh, would be the half note. Now, the reason it's called the half note is because it gets half the length of a whole note and if you're keeping up with your math then half of four would be two beats so that's what our uh, half note is going to get is two beats of sound and it's it's designated with the symbol of an open circle with a stem attached now the cool thing about that stem is when you attach a stem to a note it's going to divide that note uh, in half okay um, from there we get a quarter note now the reason this one's called a quarter note is because it gets one fourth or a quarter the value of a whole note so that means it equals one count rather than four or two. And the way we denote a, a quarter note, uh, when we symbolize it, it's a, it's a circle that's colored in with a stem attached to it. So here's, here's what's interesting. So we took that half note that had the stem. So the stem divided it in half. When we color it in, that's going to divide it in half again. So that's how we get one more count, okay? Or just get to one count with our quarter note. From there, we get the eighth note. Now the eighth note is one eighth the length of a whole note. That's why it gets its name eighth note. And the interesting thing about the eighth note is that it gets half a beat of sound. So it would actually take two eighth notes to fill the same amount of space as one quarter note. Okay, or it would take eight of them to fill the same amount of space or duration as a whole note. Now, eighth notes and all these different rhythms sound the same, sound sound very different rather, um, and when when they're played. But as far as filling time, that's that's kind of the idea there. And again, in in, in the book, um, you know, I've got a couple of graphics that kind of break this down so you can sort of see um, what that looks like. Um, but an interesting thing about eighth note is a single eighth note actually has a flag on it, and so a flag is also going to divide that note in half again. So it, it takes the quarter note divides it in half when the flag's added to it so that's why we have half a beat now now there are other types of notes but um, but these are are the most basic okay that we use so whole half quarter and eighth um, there are also symbols that denote silence in music and when we call when we talk about silence we call those rests and and rests also appear in the same way as the or they're also named just like the the rhythm value so we have whole rest and half rest quarter rest eight rest eighth rest and they have their own symbols as well and in addition to all of these things that we've kind of talked about we also have symbols for volume which we call dynamics we also have symbols 
for uh, roadmap things, you know, quote unquote roadmap symbols, which tell us, you know, whether we should repeat the music, maybe go back to the beginning or in a specific spot, skip to the end, you know, different things like that that just kind of show us um, how to how to just simply read the music and know where we're going in it. Hopefully you're you're still with me um, after after all of that. If it, if it feels like I'm speaking a foreign language to you, uh, again, I just want to recommend that you seek out a private teacher to help you in your journey of becoming a better musician. Um, you know, and and while we're while we're just kind of talking about this, uh, you know, this this idea of resources, I, I'm just going to take some time to point out one that is most likely sitting in your congregations, uh, you know, and and that, those are your local music teachers. Okay, so believe it or not. That elementary music teacher, that band, orchestra, choir director, and even the the college music appreciation teacher uh, are tremendous resources for the things I'm talking about today. So in in promoting these folks as resources to you, here's a few things I want you to consider um, about about these professionals that sit in your your congregation. And, And the very first thing is that uh, you, you just simply need to recognize these are these are highly trained professional musicians that are that are sitting in our congregations and and here's what I mean by that you know when we're talking about music theory specifically these folks have taken at least two years of theory training uh, most music degrees require at least two years of theory training if not more uh, depending on your particular field um, the other thing is that you know uh, in in the midst of being highly trained professional musicians these guys are professionals in performing on their instrument or voice okay um, they've taken basic courses in orchestration so if you don't know what orchestration is that's actually taking like a, a piano part for example and then arranging it for a larger ensemble like a band orchestra or choir um, and, and actually you know creating all those parts and making it work so uh, most music courses have some some kind of basic uh, orchestration requirement that musicians have to to take before they're able to graduate um, and and these folks also I just I, you know I want to throw this out because in in the five-fold ministry teaching is a gift okay teaching is is part of that five-fold and and folks having th- these these professionals that I'm talking about they have a working knowledge of how to teach Okay, they they know how to teach music as well as run rehearsals, you know, because these types of things are taught in music schools. Okay, Uh, you know, music teachers specifically have to take labs where where they're actually teaching in front of their colleagues. They also have to do internship where they're teaching in front of students. So teaching and, and teaching to groups is, is kind of part of what they do. So, you know, if, if you find yourself in a place where, you know, you're just kind of like, man, how do I get this rehearsal to run a little tighter? You know, pull on those people, you know, uh, ask them. Um, the, the second thing I want you to consider uh, outside of them being, you know, these trained professionals is that, you know, realistically, these folks may have the time to fully commit to worship ministry and they might not um, you know something some things people don't really realize about about music teachers and music professionals is that uh, especially our performance-based music teachers like band orchestra choir folks like that um, they work many hours beyond the regular school day okay um, you know I'll give you an example just just from my own life and from friends of mine who who are band directors or have been band directors I was a band director at one point in my career uh, when I taught high school um, and, and during marching season, it was, uh, you know, 
there were really no such thing as uh, 40 hour work weeks. It was more like uh, 50 to 60 hours, um, you know, and and I'll even say, you know, due to the grace of God and his and his loving kindness, you know, and and his ability to supernaturally overcome my uh, my inability, uh, you know, my wife and I were leading a worship team at that point in time, too. And, um, you know, and it it was going well. Um, But I'm just saying that, you know, not everybody is is you know that type of person that that wants to take those types of things on or or even is able to um and so we just need to have that understanding that they may be able to commit to something fully or they may they simply might not can you know um it just really is a matter of having that conversation um to see what kind of time commitment they have available all right most are usually part of a worship ministry in some way most people that i that i know in the profession you know who attend church are are involved in their worship ministry and are happy to help you know in in that way um i will say that if you have a music teacher in your congregation that's not able to fully commit to being on your worship team and you need you need to again remember that they work beyond the normal school hours okay um See if they might be interested in maybe serving as like a consultant with you or even coming to a rehearsal here and there to provide, you know, some constructive criticism for the team or, you know, maybe even give you as a leader some feedback and and how to maybe tailor the rehearsal in a little bit different way. Maybe, maybe, you know, group it this way or try this, this, these couple of things. Um, You know, they might not be able to fully commit to a week in, week out rehearsal per se, but they can still be a resource and they can still use their gift. Okay, Um, they are a resource. This is the third thing I want you to get. They're a resource for musical knowledge, just like your pastor or even like your teaching pastor or your, you know, maybe your discipleship teacher or Sunday school teacher or whatnot. These people are resources for musical knowledge, just like those people are for biblical knowledge. Okay, Um, and then the last thing I just want to encourage you in this um and this is not necessarily something that i feel i've i have seen per se um or even that i would might even have anybody admit um but this is something that i just really this this is something i feel led by the spirit just to kind of exhort you know those who are listening this don't be intimidated by these people okay don't be intimidated um you know they do know a lot about what they do especially the really really great music teachers out there you know um but but almost every music teacher that i know that is involved in their church in some capacity are so happy to help when they're asked whenever they're pulled on and do you know why the reason why is because that is an opportunity for them to steward their gift that God has given them, that, that gift of teaching, that gift of pulling something out of someone else that, that might be lying dormant um, until that teaching gift brings it to the surface. Okay, so just know that we don't need to allow the spirit of intimidation to hinder the gift that God wants to use to release more musical gifting into the church through teachers. So as we uh, as we finish up uh, today's episode, I, I just want to take a moment and pray. So let's just go ahead and begin to posture ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to just begin to minister to our hearts and, and just uh, take us right into his presence. Thank you for your presence, Lord. God, we just welcome you into wherever we are right now, Lord, and we just thank you for being with us and, and for, for helping us and leading us and guiding us to be uh, just great stewards with our musical gifts, Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit, to become great stewards in our ability to read and understand the language of music. 
Holy Spirit, I thank you for just divine appointments that you will lead and guide those who are listening and those who desire to become better at what they're doing to improve, to be even more excellent than they already are. God, guide them to the people, the resources, the materials, whatever, whomever and whatever you want to use uh, that will help those listening to maximize their potential to become excellent musicians in the house of God. And Lord, help us to recognize the gifts that others have and release them to operate in it so that we better build your kingdom and that we truly allow iron to sharpen iron and help us to become exactly who you have called us to be in and through you. And we thank you for it, Jesus, and it is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. In our next podcast, I'm actually going to be sharing about the importance of listening. And uh, if you would like to connect more, feel free to email me at prayerandpractice at gmail.com. You can connect, connect with me on Facebook at Prayer and Practice. Uh, 365 or on Instagram at prayer and practice 365. Um, you can also find us on our host platform, anchor FM at anchor.fm forward slash prayer and practice. And I just thought, you know, just in the midst of all of this talk today um, about, you know, uh, about music theory and, and reading music and that sort of thing. And even mentioning, um, you know, uh, seeking out a, a private uh, teacher. If you or your church are in need of private instruction, or maybe you'd like some consultation or things like that, uh, those things that I've mentioned, feel free to reach out to me um, um, on any of the platforms that I've mentioned, uh, as I'm set up to offer teaching or training in person, we can also set up something virtually if you'd like. Uh, and I'm also happy to help you and your teams in your stewardship journey as well in, in whatever way I can be of assistance to you. So bless you all as you pray and practice and release your musical gifts into your churches. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Prayer and Practice. We hope you've been encouraged by what you've heard today. And remember, worship like you mean it. 